The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. It's a privilege to be up here and continuing our series in the book of Mark. We're looking at Mark chapter 12 today. And uh, listening to that song again, uh, as I did earlier, uh, about asking God to break up our ground so that we can grow uh, is very applicable to this sermon today. Um, as I prepared for it, and maybe as you hear it, you're going to feel like God is breaking you and kind of pulling at you and maybe even tearing at you, and it might be a little painful. So just giving you the heads up now, just so you can be ready for it uh, and, and really receive it in a way that is God being used to, to cultivate and to till soil in your heart that may be hardened, that needs to be broken up so that you can grow. And so really take that as you hear this, uh, these passages today. So we're looking at genuine love, humble lifestyle, and sacrificial giving today. Genuine love is found in the first section, and Back when uh, we did a um, series called The Final Week about a year and a half ago, um, we did a series and I was given this specific passage. So I, as I was reading, I was like, ah, this sounds familiar, you know, like, like I just, did I just preach this like two weeks ago? That's what it felt like. Uh, but it's one of those things where I was able to go in a little more detail than we'll go in today. So go on the online bulletin, you'll see the link to that sermon, and that goes in a little bit more detail than we're going to get into, but we'll cover some of the highlights here in this passage. So let's look at verse 28 to start off with in Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There's no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I just love that last statement. It's just like, all right, we're done. <laughs> We've asked enough. We're, you got us. We're, we're finished. So to look at, first of all, genuine love, we can see that Jesus really gave a great description. And the scribe that comes to Jesus with this question is different than most of the religious leaders uh, that we've seen so far, right? The religious leaders so far have been trying to trip Jesus up, trying to catch him in an error or mistake or, or kind of speaking out of both sides of his mouth. And in this sense, though, this scribe actually comes to Jesus in an authentic question, like actually just not confrontational but more just wanting to understand. And so we see, ask this question, which is the most important commandment? And Jesus answers with an ancient Israelite passage. It's called the Shema. 
And the Shema is read at the beginning of every single worship service in the synagogue. Any devout Jew would have the Shema memorized. And so it's one of those things that they, uh, I mean, we're so deep into it. I think you see uh, a little bit of that in, in public. Sometimes when you go to places, uh, there's more devout Jews than others where you have phylacteries, where you have these boxes on their forehead. I think we have a picture of it. These boxes, we have uh, their arms laced with this scripture. And then even further, they put boxes on their doorpost with the same scripture in it. And it's this scripture that Jesus quotes. So he doesn't just use uh, his, I guess, his language to kind of just convince them in his own speech, but he goes back once again to what they know, which is the Old Testament. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then he goes and says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, the first half of this answer comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six, verse four through six, and then the second half of the answer comes from Leviticus 19.18. I want us to remember and realize this is Jesus speaking and throughout this passage and throughout the gospels we see he's calling himself Lord. He's not leaving it up to a question. He's saying, I am God. I am the king. And so in a genius move, Jesus fuses these two things together, the concept of the Lord and the concept of God and others and that love that goes together, he fuses them together using the scriptures that the scribes were familiar with, these Old Testament scriptures that I'm sure they had memorized. So he brings the commandments together, and it's important to see that oftentimes we look at commands and laws as sterile and stagnant, right? I don't know about you, but I don't embrace, oh yeah, give me another law to follow, right? And here in Texas especially, it's like, you better not give me another, right? And so this idea like, I'm free, I do my own thing, you know? And, and I'm that personality, some of you are different. Some of you like laws, some of you like rules, you know? But that's not me, and maybe not you, I don't know. But the reality is, oftentimes they're sterile, they're stagnant, and what Jesus does here is he makes them relational, that he takes a sterile, stagnant law that the scribes and the Pharisees have made that way in this rote memory and in this, this blind obedience that really doesn't have anything behind it except for rules, and he takes it and makes it personal. It's personal, so the, he brings all 10 commandments together and he makes them personal. The first four are between us and God. The first four commandments, if you look at them, they're between us and God. So it's a relational aspect between us and God. Then he takes the final six and fuses them together because that's in how we relate to one another. And so he helps them see that these aren't just rules. There's relationship here. There's love within the commandments. So the scribe's reply, it shows he's got a rare view of compassion over traditional worship. He's kind of a unique religious leader here. And he says, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, like Jesus needed him to say that, but that's great that he said it, right? You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him and to love him with all the heart, all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as oneself. And look at what he adds, it's interesting. Much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He even goes further and says, I'm starting to get it here. 
It's more than burnt offerings. It's more than sacrifice. This, mar- this heart is quite different than other religious leaders that we encounter so far in the book of Mark. But Jesus says one statement that's kind of sad for him and powerful for us in verse 34. You are not far from the kingdom of God. It's an interesting statement, right? You're not far from the kingdom. And we don't have any further. Maybe Jesus took him aside and showed him a little further of the kingdom. But obviously he can hear Jesus later explain it. But that's kind of how he leaves this. It made me think of, uh, I don't know why, but most things in my life, if they don't relate to God and Jesus, they relate me back to basketball. I don't know why some of you have other stuff, but I'm always thinking basketball. I love basketball. I love playing it. I still play it to this day. I just love it. And so I think in relation to that, so it made me think, this statement made me think of a really popular little gift that's out there that's been out there forever um, that kind of relates to maybe you've had the ball in your hands, right? And at the end of the game, uh, it's like seconds left and you're down by one and you have the ball and you're called to shoot. And you shoot your shot, and maybe it rims out. I think we have a video, not of me, but check this video out. It gives us a good example. It's a little celebration, a little too early. It's going down, and it's out. And maybe some of you have been in that situation. You got LeBron, you got Jordan, you got Kobe, so many guys that have been in that situation and probably missed more game winners than they've made, but they still take the shot. But the reality is, whether it rims in and out or whether it's an air ball, guess what? You still lost. You still lost the game. No matter what the shot looked like, it might have been pretty. That guy's celebrating his pretty shot, and he missed And in this moment right here, this is what Jesus is saying to this guy. You're around the rim. Just kind of bouncing around. Hope it drops. But no, you're this close to the kingdom. It reminds me of a statement that I've heard many times from Billy Graham and then uh, our own Pastor Gary who, who would say this. You miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance from your head to your heart. This man knew. He knew all about it. He went further than the religious leaders and actually embraced compassion over sacrifice, which is huge for religious leaders, right? He embraced that, but there was something about it where Jesus saw in him that he's missing it. It was here. It hadn't transferred to here. And some of us, we have this situation, right, where you've grown up in central Texas, maybe this area, and you get bombarded by Jesus. It sounds horrible, you know, to say it that way, but it's a reality that oftentimes you hear it. You hear it all the time, whether it's church or youth group or mission trips or online or, or in the, you know, wherever it is, you hear it, you hear it, you hear it, and you get bombarded by it. But the reality is it's all here and it's not here. There's no heart change, and this is the man. There's no heart change. See, the kingdom of God, it's laced throughout Mark's gospels, the culmination of the kingdom here. He is king. So we're called to love God first, and then our love for others will overflow from the object of our love. We can't go try to love without God's power. We can't go try to love without a growing relationship from the true source of eternal love. 
You ever attempt to love somebody on your own and like in a relationship and you try to make that grow and it's all you trying to do it and there's really nothing behind it. There's no deeper source. It runs dry. There's no surprise that our divorce rates are over 50%, not only in outside the church, but within the church because we often try to do it on our own and we burn out. And we can't love that way. We can't continue that. We can't keep it up without the source. And Jesus identifies first, loving God first, then you're free to love others well. It's important also to note in that question when he says neighbor, who is your neighbor? The neighbor is everyone. The neighbor isn't just the person you get along with. The neighbor over here that is real nice and like brings you stuff on your kids' birthdays and stuff. And then another neighbor that like gets really annoyed like your kid's ball goes over the fence and you, they take a knife and pop it. You know, that type of neighbor, right? It's not saying you love this one and not that one. Your neighbor in scripture in this language is everybody. You're called to love everyone in this So when we truly understand the love of God, we truly embrace Jesus as the Savior of the world. When we have the Holy Spirit influencing our every action, then we can't help but love others to be launched out in our community to love. So we've looked at genuine love. Now let's look at a humble lifestyle. Verse 35 through 40. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So in order for us to understand a humble lifestyle, we need to understand the source of humility. So here in this first section of this passage, he kind of goes to the source. Now, this scripture is really like a riddle, right? You read it and you're like, what is he talking about? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. What is going on here? It's important for us to understand what's happening. We need to think about the setting for a minute first. All along, the scribes, the Pharisees have been coming at Jesus, throwing their darts, you know, shooting at him, you know, their, their weapons, thinking they can trip him up. But now, Jesus is reversing and asking a question. And you know they're a little nervous, right? In our staff meeting this week, talking about this passage, someone described it, uh, I believe it might have been Danny, you know, described it as waves. You know, you got these battle and you got your first wave of attack against Jesus. Fail. Next wave, fail. Next wave, fail. And they continually fail in their wave of attacks. And now here's Jesus. Let me go on the offensive just for a second. He didn't do it often, but here he is going at it and he, he, he describes the scribe's view that he was simply the son of David and he corrects it. He quotes Psalm 110 verse 1 illustrating that David in the spirit recognized the coming Messiah as God. In this verse, David is kind of observing, if you can picture it this way, you ever been in on a, com- you're not in the conversation like talking but you're there? 
So it's like two people talking, but you're there kind of watching and listening. This is what David's experiencing. This is God speaking, and this is Jesus, and they're talking to each other, and they're recognizing each other as Lord. They're both God. And even back with David, he sees it in the spirit and recognizes the Messiah as God, as king. Author R. Kent Hughes states it this way, how can the Messiah be both David's son and his Lord if he is merely human? Jesus was using the scriptures in which they were supposedly such experts to explode their limited idea of Messiah. He took their own scriptures, their own, really it was Jesus, but he took what they had had embraced as their own and kind of blew them up and helped them see you got it wrong. David recognizing Jesus as Lord is recognizing him as king of the ultimate kingdom. Again, the gospel is an announcement that Jesus is king. He is the king of the kingdom. So Jesus goes on to call out the scribes for their ridiculous, prideful behavior. This is where it gets a little tough for all of us, hopefully. We think about the scribes, and if you know anything about the scribes, if you look, do some research, you can see the scribes wore these long white robes. And they even had white fringe around the bottom, and they'd walk around pious with their chest out, you know, just walking around. And as they walked in the community, unless you were a tradesman actively working on something, you had to stand and recognize these men. You had to bow or whatever it was to recognize that these men were an authority over you and over the scriptures, and it was kind of this pious thing that took place. So here these scribes are, and they're, they're kind of walking around proud. The scripture describes them. Look at, look at these verses that describe them. They walk around in their long robes, verse 38. They like the greetings in the marketplaces. They're the ones that are really loud and greeting one another, especially if it's someone important they're talking to, right? You guys don't know anybody like that, right? Uh, maybe it's you. But the reality is, you know, hey, look at me. Look at who I know. Look at me, right? They get the best seats in the synagogues, you know, even reserved, like roped off. You better not sit there. That's for the scribes. They take advantage of the widows. The scribes couldn't physically earn a living, so they, they lived off of gifts in the synagogue. And so for them, they were able to take advantage of people in need, including the widows. And they were taking their money to support themselves and their lavish lifestyle, and then they did the, the, the long prayers and wanted people to hear how eloquent they were as they prayed. So here they are, the pride. And as I was thinking about that, I, I thought about, wow, what would Jesus call out today? What is some of the equivalent of this? Maybe not quite that bad, but the equivalent of this. And these things I list are things I've found in my own life if they apply to you. Uh, I'm sorry because it's just reality. Number one, wanting to make sure our name is attached to something successful. We bail on something that's not quite good enough, you know, or it's not going to get recognized. Let's bail. Let's bail on that job. Let's bail on that church. Let's bail on that family. Let's bail on that whatever you decide, fill in the blank. And and if it's not successful, I don't want to be a part of it. When in reality, if you look at scripture over and over and over again, spiritual leaders were called to suffer. We're called to pain. We're called to ridicule. We're called to embarrassment. 
But yet we want to look for things that make us look good, scouring an email, an article, a social media post to see if we're recognized. Even I do this with my own kids, like, oh, they're good at sports, so what do I do? Oh, I look at, do I read the article? No, I just look for the name Cartwright. It's real. And what is that? It's pride. It's pride. Number two, announcing our great accomplishments through social media and other platforms. Look at me. I've been working out for 10 straight days. I'm proud of you. Does everybody need to know it? Maybe. I don't know. But the reality is we love attention and we love people to notice us and to mention us and to tag us and to do all these things that get the focus on us. Number three, we seek out actions to get us noticed publicly. Uh, I had an embarrassing uh, situation. Really, nobody really saw it as embarrassing. Maybe my brother was standing next to me. I was in Rwanda about a week and a half ago, and we got to hang out with their pastors. They say thanks for the support. We were able to bring support over to them. They're doing well, even in the midst of this pandemic. And uh, we were on our way somewhere, stopped, stopped at a coffee shop. And everyone's getting their amazing Rwanda coffee. I think I got the pineapple juice because it's ridiculous. I call it fresh, fresh squeeze, but I don't think you squeeze a pineapple, do you? I don't know. Whatever. It was blended. It was amazing. But I'm waiting for my juice and some muffin that I ordered and the barista's behind the counter and there's this tip jar. You know the tip jar, right? That one that says a really big tips, you know, so you don't miss it. And so that you can be embarrassed if you walk away without putting anything in it. And so I'm there with my money and I'm looking at the tip jar. I'm like, man, I got to tip these people. So uh, the thing is, I had the money in my hand, but the girl wasn't looking. Well, what do you do? You can't put a tip in the jar without her looking, Right. You got to wait till she sees that you're going to put the tip in. So I literally did this. It's it's a confession right here in front of everybody. I literally waited till she turned around. What? You're so horrible. Yes, I am. So I waited till she turned around, looked at me, dropped it in. Boom. Recognize me. I gave you a tip. Aren't I amazing? None of you have ever done that. I know you're laughing because I did it and you don't. But it's pride, right? It's all about pride. These actions are anti-Jesus. They're anti-kingdom. They're not derived from the true source of humility. It's all flesh. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I'm doing. C.J. Mahaney in his book on humility states, so make it your aim and lifelong habit when you see someone who's serving to be reminded of the sacrifice of the Savior for apart from his sacrifice, there is no serving. It's just attention. It's just actions to look good. But connected to Jesus and what he did and his service, we carry that out in the name of Jesus and instead it goes from pride to humility. So let's consider maybe some humble actions that we could take to make part of our routine and service to our king. Number one, buy a gift card to a restaurant and give it to a healthcare worker and don't broadcast it. Don't tell a soul. Find out the favorite things of your kid's teacher and surprise him or her. And don't share it. Don't tell anybody. Find someone who has recently lost a spouse and send them encouragement. We have a ministry within this church you can be a part of. New song. Where you can be an encouragement. But don't share it. 
Just let it be something that is done in love and in service and loving somebody with the love of Jesus without any opportunity to be recognized. Number four, find out the needs from a local faith-based nonprofit. Go shopping with your family and deliver those items together without taking a picture. Maybe you could take your picture, but keep it for yourself. There's so many nonprofits here, you know, faith-based nonprofits all over our community that could use your help. What a great chance to do that. Gather your family, make some encouraging cards for our global outreach partners and send them off. Brandon, our, local, our global outreach pastor, would love to help point you in that direction where you can take time as a family just to encourage others without telling a soul. Humility, a humble lifestyle. And lastly, we can look at sacrificial giving in verse 41 to 44. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she she has, all she had to live on. Wow. Now it's important for us to see here, nothing that Jesus does is by accident. There's a purpose with everything he does. So here he is. He goes and sits down. I can't imagine how this happening today. Uh, after I, I'm done, I run out and I grab a seat and stare at an offering box just to watch everybody. But here's what Jesus does. He sits there and he's just watching people drop money in. Boom, boom. And some of it's a lot of money. And then this woman comes along. Many gave large sums, but a widow gave the equivalent of just over 20 cents was everything she had. So Jesus, never missing a teachable moment, calls the disciples to him, right? Kind of gives us a little instruction, whether we're parents, grandparents, or maybe we're aunts or uncles, or maybe we have cousins that are younger than us, whatever, siblings, to really embrace teachable moments. To lo- don't let them pass you by and, and really take the time, even if your kids roll their eyes, which I know mine do sometimes, but r- even if they roll their eyes, that you can take these moments to teach them these principles. And this is what Jesus does. He helps them understand that many gave out of their abundance. They didn't really miss it. But what the widow give? Everything. She had no reserves. It reminds me of that Old Testament story. I think it was Elisha, Elijah. I get them all mixed up sometimes, same, similar names. But where he's, he's there uh, visiting this lady, and it's her and her son. They're about to die of starvation. And he tells her to make him a cake. He's like, how rude, right? Not make you a cake first. He's like, make me a cake, I'm hungry. And what does she do? She takes the last little portion of flour she has and makes this cake for this prophet. And after she does, she has this overabundance in her pantry of all the supplies she needs for her and her son to eat and they survive and live and thrive. Here it is. She gave everything. See, I'm willing to to guess that most of us, us being me as well, often give out of our abundance. Not just money, but our time. Oh, I don't have time for that. I got kids' stuff going on. We're too busy. Can't help here. Sorry. 
We often give out of our abundance. We work it into our budget. We make sure it fits. When, when things are tight, what happens? Well, what's the first thing to go? Giving, right? It's tight. Can't make it. Ends aren't meeting up. We got Jimmy's third select sporties playing in the fall, right? Sorry, I got a off track. But the idea is this. We, we have these things that come up, and what do we do? We abandon the thing we're called to most, which is giving. Again, this is represented by money, but it's also plenty of other things that we can give. And so we have a problem. When we have this attitude, what does it say about our view of the Father and his What does it say? Here's four things it says. Number one, the king is not in control. The king has limited resources. The king will not provide. And his kingdom isn't our top priority. That's what we're saying. And you can rationalize it like I do. Rationalize and say, well, I mean, this month, it's just tough. Or, uh, you know, this time of season in our lives with the kids, we just can't really volunteer. We can't give of our time. It's just that season. And guess what? As we rationalize, as we talk, as we do this, we slip deeper and deeper into this area of having a a non-generous spirit. And we start making it a habit, and before we know it, we look back and we're like, wow, how have we gotten here? It's our attitude, it's how we see the king. What does a kingdom mindset look like? Number one, the king is in control. The king's resources are unlimited. The king will provide just at the right time. This woman gave everything, she had nothing left. But she knew he would provide. And number four, his kingdom is our top priority. Number one, not down the list if we have the time or resources. We can see this played out in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 through 5. Paul writes to the church of Macedonia and he says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and what? Beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first, what? To the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. What a great tie-in to the beginning of this talk today. They gave first to God. They loved God through their giving. And then in turn, were able to give to others. So here it is. I love this statement. It's a messed up statement. Look at the, listen to the second part of this passage. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Do you hear that? Abundance of joy with extreme poverty? Those usually don't go together, do they? And then he goes on, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. It's just an amazing thing to think about this church of Macedonia and the testimony. Just as Chase said last week, it's not just about rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. This is about recognizing who your king is and responding accordingly. 
I was scouring the Google to see examples of sacrificial giving. I was trying all over. All right, let me see this. Oh, this will look good. This will go off good. Oh, this picture would be great. And then uh, I kind of got slapped in the face and just literally just said, um, what am I doing? I have the example of sacrificial giving right in front of me in the scriptures. It's God himself. God sacrificially gave his one and only son his only perfect son, and he sacrificed this son for us on our behalf, for the church, for the kingdom, and sacrificed him, sacrificially giving of his own for us. When we look to details of what God has done for us on such a massive scale, we can't help but think about how we can, in turn, sacrificially give our own lives just like the widow who gave everything to her king. We are called to do the same, understanding that it's a privilege to love our king with all our heart, to serve our king in all humility, and sacrificially give to our king and his kingdom. Let's pray. God, we come before you broken, our, our sin of pride, our sin of greed, our lack of love for you and others, so convicting. Lord, allow this broken ground in our souls this morning to spring up new attitudes, new desires, new actions of growth as a result of the sacrifice that you made for us and the example of this widow and the teachings of love and humility. Lord, for somebody in here, maybe in this room or at home that doesn't know you as like this scribe who is so close to the kingdom, Lord, I pray that they will be pushed over into the kingdom today that they will right now recognize you as Savior and King of their lives. Help them to realize this is the most important decision they can make. And they will choose to follow you and listen to your spirit, confess their sin to you, repent and trust you as their Savior. And for us that know you, Lord, help us to sit in this conviction not just to move on to some other thing, some other distraction, but help us to own this, own the pain of what we've become, own the hurt that we've caused others in our pride, and make a change to live for you, to humbly serve, and to sacrificially give. In your name we pray, amen.